You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Oh man. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. Take your seat. Take your seat. I love you, Pastor Bill. It's good to be with you. What's up, Salem? How you doing today? Good. I, I got a kick out of that part when he said, all the men in the room, I want to hear some manly noises. I was like, yeah! I brought uh, Pastor Bill some gifts, and, and I, <laughs> I like things that maybe most men don't like. I brought him candles, so there we go. I'm into things like essential oils and candles. I'm trying to sound like I'm from around here. <laughs> it's good to be with you today. The Lord be with you. I'll tell you what, I love you here, Salem. It feels like home every time I'm here. It feels like home every time I'm here. You know, one of the reasons why we say the Lord be with you is because we're not the hosts. Jesus is. And so it's a, it's a healthy practice of decentering ourselves and our personality and, and recognizing the reality that Jesus is the host. And he's here. Amen. It's so good to be with you. Let me also say something else. Your hospitality is amazing. It is Stunning. It's absolutely amazing. I get to the hotel room and there are snacks on my desk. <laughs> snacks are my love language. Forget quality time. I'm all about those snacks. One of the things that I really like about Salem Tabernacle is that you have a space where I don't have to make false choices. I don't have to decide whether I'm Pentecostal or sacramental or evangelical. I can be all three. All three. I believe the early church was all three, and I believe the future of the church is going to be all three. I believe that wholeheartedly. So it feels good to be here. You have an awesome worship team. Can you put your hands together for them? They're amazing. And then finally, I want to give some honor and gratitude to the best. Now listen, I'm a pastor, and I'm going to say this. The best pastor in the world here at Salem Tabernacle. Pastor Bill... Jacqueline, and, and you'll notice that when I refer to your pastors, Pastor Bill and Jacqueline, I don't separate the two because I don't think God does. The two shall become one. And so I see them both as doing a great work here. They're so gifted, and they love you so, so much. When, when we talk on the phone, you can hear the love that they have for you. So it's just a joy to be with you and to celebrate with you. I want you to pray with me here in a minute. Um, but before I do that, I, I got to give a shout-out to a couple of people. Shout-out to Sophia. Pastor Bill's daughter, she's amazing. And, and, can we celebrate the arrival of Theo? Hey. Welcome to the world, Theo. Welcome, little dude. And that reminds me of my family. They're probably watching back at home right now, so I would be, uh, I wouldn't be right if I didn't say hello to the family that I love back at home I want to say how much I love you, Diana and John, Luke, and Maddie. I, I'm just going to stop there. I cry really easily, so I'm just going to stop right there. I, I love my, my family so much, and, and to the Sacred Commons people who are watching, and uh, my mom, <laughs> I love you all, and, and I love you guys. It's so good to be with you. I feel so welcomed here. A little bit about me. Father Bill did a good job saying my last name. <laughs> uh, it's Robles. I am a Mexican. Any Mexicans in the house? Any Latinos at all? Latinos? 
Anybody who speaks Spanish, good for you. I don't. Congratulations. I was told that uh, Pastor Bill preaches for about 40 minutes. Is that the truth? <laughs> okay. We're going to shoot for that. Maybe less than that. We'll see. But before we do that, I, I want to invite who's ever going to read this text for today to prepare themselves. And uh, we're going to read from this gospel text here. And then we're going to talk about being surprised by friendship. So let's center our hearts right now. Maybe enter into a moment where you're, you're centering yourself. Take a deep breath. Recognize that as we breathe in, we breathe in the breath of God. And then we just return to him what is his own. And that is our praise. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Go ahead. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, only you can produce God. Only you can know God perfectly. Only you can love God. But we are grateful that you invite us into the divine life so that we can be caught up in the holy friendship that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Give us the grace for this kind of friendship that transcends the way the world makes friends. Make our friendships transgress in surprising, faithful ways for the honor and glory of your name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, I'm going to try to stick to my notes, and if, if you see me reading my notes, that's because I love you, and I don't want you to be here for an hour, longer than we are already here. So, uh, I want to begin by saying that a friend of mine, who is a brilliant designer, she recently encountered a client who was complaining, inventing, and trying to land on an agreeable outcome with a certain project, and in trying to point out why they should agree and be friends on this dilemma, he said to her, look, by the way, I want to laugh and have fun today. Is that okay? All right. He said to her, look, you and I, we're just like each other. We're the same because you and I were both Christians. And then he said something that made us laugh. To, to say why they should get along and why they're both Christians, he gave his reason. He said, we're both Christians because we both love Chick-fil-A. And he wasn't joking, as if liking Chick-fil-A was proof of Christian fellowship. Church, I believe this with all my heart, true friendship, and that's what we're talking about. I was told we're doing a series on friendship and fellowship, so that's what I want to speak to. Uh, true friendship, Christian friendship, has to transcend the superficial. It has to transcend liking Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it has to transcend those sorts of things. Because oftentimes, and, and just roll with me here, I, I was raised in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up Pentecostal. Oftentimes, we can come to church. We can put on that happy face. We can high-five, shake each other's hands, act like we know each other when the truth is you have no idea what's going on in the lives of that person, of those people, the lives of those people. We, we can so easily manifest appearances. It looks like something is happening when in reality nothing is going on, because if we just, if, if we get stuck on superficial things in our relationships, then there might be nothing happening, but it looks like we have Christian fellowship. My sister's ex-boyfriend 
Oh, man, I love awkward moments. My sister's ex-boyfriend once saw a woman he knew, and he noticed that her belly was a little big. And in a moment of excitement, he ran up to her belly, and he went, coochie-coochie-coo. And then he asked her, how far along are you? You already see where this is going. And her answer to him was, I'm not pregnant. (laughs) I feel like this is a metaphor sometimes for the church. Uh, What I'm trying to say is we can look spiritually pregnant. We can carry our Bibles, attend church functions, high-five each other, shake shake hands, hug one another, eat Chick-fil-A together, but that's not how Christians will be known. By this, everybody will know that you are my disciples. Someone finish it for me. If you love one another. And then, that was John 13. And then two chapters later, Jesus reveals the depth of this kind of love. And he says this, no greater love, no greater love has anyone than this. That they lay down their life for their friends. Friendship is at the heart of the cross. Friendship is the very center of the cruciform life. And therefore, friendship, I believe this, is at the very heart of God. I I want you to read this quote with me. This is from Simone Weil. She's a French philosopher, Christian mystic, theologian in her own right. She said it this way. God produces himself. God knows himself perfectly. Just as we fabricate and know poorly objects outside ourselves, But before all, God is love. Before all, God loves himself. This love, this friendship in God is the Trinity. I'm going to read that line one more time. This friendship, this love, this friendship is the Trinity. What is she saying? To me, I think what she is saying is essentially this. God produces God's self. God knows God's self. God loves God's self. And that love that God has for God's self is nothing other than the divine friendship we know and call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me just try to distill this down. We can only be friends if we anchor our lives in the divine life. If we anchor our lives in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I had to do a little bit of that groundwork at the beginning here. Friendship is a simple effect of the Trinitarian life, the divine life. It's God's friendship with God that creates friendship in us for the sake of the other. God is so essentially loved that unity, which in a sense is its actual definition, is a simple effect of love. And I need you to hear me, Salem Tabernacle, because I think I have a word Uh, maybe for all of us, for the church at large, right now, we are very divided in terms of how we relate to one another in the world. And I don't think I have to explain what I mean. You all are on Facebook. You see what what I'm talking about. We've never been more polarized in some ways. People are very, very polar opposite in how they relate to one another. And we can sense that kind of tension when we interact with one another online and even in person. It carries over. I'm hearing stories from people talking about how 
tensions and how they view things and their worldview and their, their hermeneutic, their interpretation of Scripture sets them at odds sometimes with even family members. And they have that painful separation of finding out that someone feels some way that they don't. And then they're left with this dilemma, how can I relate to this person now? Because clearly we don't even see God the same way. So I need you to hear me when I say this. Friendship is not the result of human conformity. Friendship is not the result of agreeability. Friendship is the result of the grace of God on your life. Friendship is the result of the grace of God on your life. It's God's grace that allows us to have friendship with one another. And this is so critical to grasp because we live in a world that tells us we can only be friends with those who think like us, act like us, live like us, create like us, and vote like us. And there's nothing more antithetical to the gospel than that. If God who has no equal, think about this, if God who has no equal has called us friend. If God, who has no equal, has opened up the divine life to us and called us friend, church, then we can be friends with the most unlikely people in the world. This is what God has done for us. Most people that I know, and maybe most people like you, think like Cicero. He was a philosopher and Roman statesman, and he wrote this. Read it with me. This is his definition of friendship. A friend is one of perfect conformity of opinions upon all religious and civil subjects, united with the highest degree of mutual esteem and affection. Essentially, to Cicero, a friend is someone who perfectly carries your ideas of God and the world. Someone who thinks like you, votes like you, reads and interprets like you, lives like you and agrees with you to the highest degree of mutuality and affection. But this makes friendship only possible. This is my problem with Cicero. This makes friendship only possible through mirroring and echoing. It's a kind of self-centered friendship. It's an agreeable friendship. It's a false friendship that serves your ego and comforts your insecurities. It's a false friendship that serves your ego, comforts your insecurities, and it's, it's this. It's friendship as tribalism. It's friendship as an echo chamber, as a silo of self-centeredness. And here's the dangerous thing that we're living through right now. Social media picks up with Cicero's definition of friendship and exponentially amplifies it with algorithms. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't want to have to unpack too much of this, but what I mean by that is there are algorithms. When you log on to Facebook, when you log on to Twitter, when you log on to Instagram, there are algorithms working. And I'm not even talking about, like, they have their own intelligence. They're working on their own to show you yourself. And you know what else they do? They show you the polar opposite of you because nothing galvanizes a community together more than hating the same people, than having a common enemy. Facebook and the likes thrive by giving you more of yourself, what you already think, what you already agree with, or what you absolutely disagree with and disgust you because it both, they both work towards your 
the favor of Facebook. Let me, let me rephrase this. It works towards the favor of Facebook when it gets you to either like something like you or hate something that's nothing like you. Because it makes you glued. You become obsessed then. You post something and you wait for the person who disagrees with you. And then you check that thing every five minutes. Or you just you spy on people. Because you see what they post online and then you're like, can you believe she said that? Can you believe he said that? That he wrote that? It galvanizes you through your tribe and what you both find to be disgusting or what causes outrage because nothing brings us closer together than a common enemy. So social media is more of what you already think, more to agree with, more to be outraged by. They create a virtual world where all the sane people think like you and all the people who don't are crazy. And you give them that holy block taste this block. Facebook and, a company, and, and their company uh, shrinks our big, complicated world into a perfect little marble. It's just what you've always wanted. Social media is, oh man, I wrote this. I, I thought about whether or not I should say this. I'm going to say it. Social media is to relationships what porn is to sex. It's a non-reality that impairs and disables true intimacy. And, and it's lonely because it's not real. That's the irony. We've never been more connected and we've never been more alone. We have a crisis of loneliness and friendlessness. There was a study done from 18... From 1985 to 2005, the University of Arizona and Duke University came together and they did some research, longitudinal research, studying people, sociologically studying people. And what they found was this. In 1985, most Americans could name at least three people that they considered to be very close friends with. But by 2005... One out of every four Americans, one out of every four, reported having no close friends at all. Now, that was 2005. Just imagine where we're at right now. Imagine what happened since the pandemic. Imagine what has gone on since we lived through the past four years. Just imagine. Right now, the medical field, psychologists, and thousands of researchers have pointed out that the mental and physical outcomes of loneliness and being friendless actually affect our body, our brain chemistry, our well-being, our health, our wholeness. It's all affected by this. In 2018, the British government, this is crazy, they announced that they were going to treat loneliness as a public health crisis. And most general practitioners saw at least one patient per day whose central problem was loneliness, which is linked to a range of damaging health impacts, heart disease, strokes, Alzheimer's. But here's a question that I have for you today, and I want to wrestle with this. Why? Why is it that we are so lonely? Why is it that when we have, we have more connections now than we have ever seen and to more people, why is it that we are so lonely, than, more lonely than any other time in history, and yet we have more connections than any other time 
in history. The problem is it's not real connection. We don't feel connected. Uh, You've heard this joke. I have 700 friends on Facebook. Why am I so lonely? I have 700 friends on Facebook. Yo, how many of those friends are going to come to your funeral? How many of those friends are going to visit you in the hospital? How many of those friends, when you post something that that they don't agree with, are going to reach out to you in a friendly way and say, hey, I care about you. I want to talk about this. How many friends do we really have? Not 700, please. I get tired of people who are Facebook, uh, Facebook celebrities who are popular on social media. Good grief. Not only are we lonely, but even, did you see what happened this week? Even this week, a whistleblower came out pointing out how Facebook, did you read this? She pointed out how Facebook itself knows that its technology is causing damage. It's not neutral. I used to think this way. I used to say, you know, we have, uh, I, w- I would point at my phone or something. I would say, this is just neutral technology. That's not true anymore. Facebook is not neutral. It is not neutral. And she pointed this out, how they know internally, they have done studies. They know that their technology is not neutral and is, in fact, causing damage, division, harm, misinformation, and then this one just kind of threw me, mental illness and violence. Mental illness and violence. I want you to read this quote from Thurman. Put it up there, if you will, Ian. So Howard Thurman said this, hatred often begins in a situation where there is contact without fellowship. Hatred often begins in a situation where there is contact but not fellowship. And I can't think of a better example of contact without fellowship than social media. There's an author, she's at MIT, she wrote a book called Alone Together, her name's Sherry Turkle. She wrote a well-known book about relationships and social media. It's called Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. She talks about how real human communication is messy. Real human communication, and you know this because you're married, or maybe you have a friend, or you have people that you call, you know, friend or, or, or someone in your life. Those of you who are married, you know this. Real relationship is messy. It's hard. It's what Nacho Libre would call the nitty-gritty. That's for you, John Luke and Marty. Real human communication is difficult. This is why we prefer to text. This is why we prefer to just drop a comment like Kermit the Frog on his typewriter. Let me tell you. Because real human communication is messy and hard. She talks about how we are overconnected, overconnected, but in reality, extremely isolated. There's something called, and it's on there, that screen. If you put it back up, I don't know if it was up yet. There's something called the Dunbar number. It's a cognitive limit to the number of people with whom we can maintain stable social relationships. And guess where the max is? They don't even recommend this, but guess where they cap it at? 150. And that's too high for me. I can handle three of y'all, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) 
Jesus had 15 friends at most, 12 disciples, three close ones. One betrayed him and one was at the cross. Turkle makes the case, I like this line, that we must sow into real relationships. And then she said this, and I want you to hear the Salem Tabernacle. She said, true friends are made, not clicked. True friends are made, not clicked. And we must embrace the reality that proximity brings pain. I, uh, <laughs> I was studying for this in our office. We, we have an office at St. John's Episcopal Church in Youngstown, Ohio. Shout out to uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Anybody here from Ohio? Yay! <laughs> and while I was preparing the sermon, I started singing John Cougar Mellencamp. Hurt so good. Sometimes love don't feel like it should. Proximity brings pain. But it's the only way. It's the only way. Let me head out of here. So what do we do now? What are we to do? I was thinking about that. I was like, God, what can I tell a beautiful body of people? What can I tell your church this Sunday morning? Because I do believe that... I don't want to just present a problem and say peace <laughs> and just, you know, drive back to Ohio. I don't really know what to do about it in full, but I have one single idea that I want to share with you on my way out. And that's this. My friends, lean into your Pentecostalism. Let me explain what I mean by that. Lean in to your Pentecostalism. That's the only thing that I'm going to say today. When I say lean into your Pentecostalism, here's what I mean. Allow God to surprise you. Pentecostals are people who believe that God still moves, God still works, God still performs miracles, that the grace of God and the Spirit of God is active in our lives, that we can see something that surprises us, like bodies being healed, Lives being delivered, souls being restored, relationships being redeemed, and friendships that don't make sense at all. Lean into your Pentecostalism. True friendship is a miracle, nothing less than that. It's a miracle. In the divine life, we don't become friends uh, because people are like us. In the divine life, our friendships surprise us because they are with the most unlikely people for reasons we can't explain. And if you don't believe me, just read that text over and over and over again. Look at who Jesus called friends. My, my. All misfits. That's it, man. True friendship is a miracle. Not only with each other. You ready for this? True friendship is a miracle starting with God. Who am I? Who am I? What? That you are mindful of me, the text says. Israel Houghton would take these Abrahamic texts and he would take that John text and he would compile it together in a song that you, you all sang it two weeks ago because I was watching. <laughs> Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me? how you love me, 
And then we sing, it's amazing. It's amazing that I am a friend of God is amazing. That God calls me friend is peculiar. I am a weirdo, and God still loves me and calls me friend. I am a nerd of nerds. I hold high rank in nerddom, and yet God calls me friend. I am difficult. I am challenging. I am stubborn, but God still calls me friend. Not only does God still call me friend, my wife does. There's a miracle. This reality of friendship is what it means to be in Christ. Roll with me. In Christ, we are caught up into the divine life. Friendship with God and the friendship of God is ever and always strange. Friendship with God and the friendship of God is ever and always odd and peculiar and offensive to our sensibilities. It is. Because God is not like us in many ways. He is holy. He has no equal. We sing it that way. You have no equal. You have no rival. You have no equal. Friendship with God is always and ever strange, odd, peculiar. We're going to read this text later, but in Isaiah it says, he had nothing that we would look at and say, that's beautiful. He, he wasn't appealing to us. When love came incarnate and manifested its presence on the earth, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, men didn't really like the light too much. Because we didn't know what to do with the kind of love that transgresses. What do I mean by that? Jesus became friends with the people he shouldn't have become friends with. And he welcomed the people that everybody was telling him you shouldn't welcome. And he touched the people that every and he touched the people that everybody was telling him not to touch. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He transgressed after tra he, one transgression after another, after another, after another, after another. God offends our sensibilities. Meister Eckhart would say it this way. God, rid me of God as I imagine you to be so that I can discover the God that truly is. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. <laughs> Proverbs says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus is a friend that will offend you in all the right ways, but baby, it hurts so good. Because sometimes love. Hmm. Author Mike Aquilina, he wrote this. If God who has no equal has befriended us. I want you to lean into these words, Salem Tabernacle. If God who has no equal has befriended us, who are we? to place anyone outside the reach of our friendship. If Christianity is a participation, I love this line, in divine life, then grace makes us omni-capable in friendship. In friendship. Listen, let me put it to you this way. If we are in Christ, we are in Christ. If, if that is true, we can be friends with the most unlikely people. To me, to be in Christ is to be caught up into his life and the transgressing friendships that he had, tax collectors, sinners, 
For the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And not only that, but he calls a group of disciples who miss him at every turn, friends. So as I close here, if God who has no equal has befriended us, then who are we to place anybody outside the reach of our friendship? Can I get an amen? amen. Who are we to place anybody outside of that sphere? Grace makes us omnicapable in friendship. Do you know how you can trust that God is working in your life? Do you know how you can trust that God is working in your life? It's because you are friends with the most unlikely people. Do you want to know who that is for me? This is about testimony, so let me just, is it okay if, I be, if I'm real for a second? Let me be completely honest. I know God's at work in my life because I'm friends with some people that I find to be very difficult. Christians. I told you I like awkward moments in church. My wife says it this way, Christians are exhausting. I like to apply Bilbo Baggins to church people. I don't know half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. <laughs> if this is a series on testimony, here's mine. I saw a vibrant, healthy, growing up in the church, my, my parents were doing a really good work, and I honor them, and I honor what happened because it formed me, that Pentecostal church formed me. I was born in 1980. The church was vibrant, it was healthy, it was distinct. Black people, white people, my dad's Mexican, Hispanic people. It, it was just beautiful, it was wonderful. Uh, we had buses, we would bus kids to Sunday school. It was growing, it was vibrant. But we experienced a tragedy and a divorce and it was scandalous and it set a precedent in the state of Pennsylvania and it was difficult. I love my family and I love that church still to this day. But every painful word, almost every painful word, almost every hurtful thing that I've ever experienced has come from the hands, the mouth, the presence of a Christian. Church hurt is real. When my parents went through their divorce, I saw some of the most crazy, some of the most crazy behavior from Christians. We can't go out to eat without people talking about us dropping comments. It was in the newspapers. Magazines were interested in telling the story. And to this day, it's just something that when I'm in a certain town, I just know that people will see me through that context. And it's a miracle that I'm in church today. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God. He has kept me and held me And I'm still here. And I still like Christians. I'm still friends with them. <laughs> That's how I know God's at work in my life. The body of Christ is the original odd couple. That's for you old folks. And I include myself in that. I love you, Salem. Friendship with God through Christ 
is a friendship that we don't find familiar. And make no mistake about it, Jesus, the one who calls us friend, is very unfamiliar. He had no form or beauty that we should look to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Isaiah 52. It is only this form of friendship that we can take on Christ's likeness. I believe that. Only this form of friendship can we participate with where we take up Christ's likeness. Following Christ, whew, following Christ is to befriend those whom the culture tells us we should not be friends with. Following Christ, to take up Christ's likeness is to enter into odd friendships because we are in the one who is the friend of those whose behavior and activities do not measure up to our moral or cultic expectations. We befriend those like Jesus who jeopardize purity. Why do you think they got so upset with him? Because his friendship, you know what the word transgress means? You cross the line. His friendships crossed that line. They were transgressing, transgressing friendships. They crossed the line that, that literally made everybody afraid because what he's doing is bringing impurity into our sphere. But I have good news for you today, and that is this. Whatever God enters into, he transfigures. Whatever God enters into, God transfigures. If you are in a relationship, if you have friends, God is working in that and will transfigure that in ways that surprise you. That's all I got to say. And here's why this matters. This kind of friendship is the only way you can be evangelical. This friendship is the only way you can be evangelical. The only way you can be messengers of good news and not judgmental. but good news kind of people. I truly believe this. When the, church, when the church starts to close its doors and only accepts us for and no more, when it becomes tribal, it narrows its sense of belongingness. One of the reasons why I love Celtic Christianity is because the Celtic Christians were the ones who said, you belong way before you ever behave. Way before your behavior ever matches our standard, you belong. I think the church needs to return to that. I think the church needs to return to that. And if we don't, we will seal our fate. How do you think the church grew? The early church had no institutions. The early church had no cathedrals. The early church had no wealth. The early church had nothing. You know what they had? An apostolate of friendship. People who were sent out to make friends. And it was in their friendships with those who the world thought, those, the, the world looked at the early Christians and they said, you shouldn't be friends like that. What does a pagan have to do with a Christian? The pagan believes that the Christian should actually be persecuted, that they're doing harm to the empire. And here comes Christians entering into the world. But whatever God enters into, God transfigures. And those early Christians who befriended the people who were nothing like them saw the power of God enter into that relationship. And guess what happened to their pagan friends? They became Christians. That's why friendship is the only way you can be evangelical. And if you're the kind of evangelical like some that I know, if you're the kind of evangelical that's only friends with other evangelicals, you are not evangelical. Father Bill, I got to get out of here, man. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. 
You all have been so gracious. Christians made friends, and their love made their friends Christian. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. I want to invite the worship team back up, if you will. I want you to pray with me. I don't know why God gave me this word for you today. I don't. But I trust that it was for somebody. I want to encourage you, have hope. Have hope. Believe that God is working on your behalf. Believe and trust that God is working through the most odd and peculiar friendships. Believe that God will enable you to not just be friends with people who think, act, vote like you, but to be friends with people who are actually quite different and quite odd. But as God enters into that relationship, watch how the power of God will surprise you with friendships you would have never expected. And it's only that way that we can actually see people enter in. It's only in that way. People will only listen to a friend. Only love can transform a soul. Thurman says love can only occur between free spirits. You're not going to argue your way into friendship. You're not going <laughs> to have these sort of contentious interactions and expect that person to leave feeling drawn in to what God is doing in your life. The only way that we can be evangelical is to befriend those who think nothing like us, to befriend those who think different. I don't know who this is for, but I felt like God gave me this last night. I, I changed my notes. Not only that, not only can we be, is the only way to be evangelical by befriending those who are nothing like us. Hear this, this is for somebody. I don't know who this is for, but Maybe there's a person here that can receive this. If our requirements for friendship is Cicero's definition, if our requirements for friendship is perfect conformity of opinions upon all religious and civil subjects, if we are disgusted by what's contrary, I don't know who this is for. If, if you are disgusted by what's contrary, you will never be at peace with yourself because we are all walking contradictions. There's not a single one of us here who fully embody our values. To quote Paul, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I don't know who this is for, but if you're in here and, and it's difficult for you to befriend that which is contrary, the greater challenge is how do you befriend yourself? Because believe me, my brother and my sister, none of us live out our values fully. And you will be wrestling with yourself. There, there will be turmoil in your life that you're not even aware of. I believe God wants to heal you of that today. You say, JP, how can God heal me of this? Simple. Turn your attention outward and extend that grace. Extend that mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive that. That mercy will flow into your life and you will have a peace within yourself. Why do you think we see all of these people hating each other? Because inside they don't even have peace. They, they're not even at peace with who they are. That just flows outwards. The one who has no equal has called you friend. The one who has no equal has called me friend. The one who has no equal loves me into being, loves me into transformation. He has called us friends. 
Divine friends, oh man, I wept when I wrote this. Divine friends love you even when you're different. Turn to somebody and say you're different. (laughs) Just whisper it to them. Throw a little shade. You're different. Divine friends love you even when you're different. Divine friends love you when loving you is a risk. Divine friends are, are there when the good times are not. Divine friends walk in when the rest of the world is walking out. Divine friends are a miracle made possible, not by perfect conformity of opinions, but by the grace of God. And the perfect love that comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me? May God give us all the grace. May God give us all the grace to be surprised by this kind of friendship and let the church say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.